Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is not Tuesday. We are a little bit behind this week, but we are still doing a draft deep dives episode. So I am here, of course, with my co-host, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing this afternoon? Nick, I'm doing great. Appreciate your flexibility with scheduling this week. Uh, life just continues to get in the way. It's really rude about doing that sometimes. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get on and talk some college basketball with you today. It is really rude how life tends to get in the way of podcast recording. It's just, just not, not cool at all. So <laughs> today we're going to start out by talking about one of your most recent articles for No Ceilings. And it's funny because I am the sleeper deep dives guy over at No Ceilings, but today we're going to talk about a sleeper prospect that you wrote about. So it is time to talk about Tyler Burton the 6'7 wing out of Richmond, who certainly his most intriguing NBA level skill is one that I tend to value very highly in the draft process. So this is certainly a prospect that I am excited to talk about, but Tyler Burton is your guy, Tyler. So Tyler, tell us more about Tyler. <laughs> so I Burton has been a guy who really caught my eye last year because of his athletic flashes and transition and the, you know, kind of shooting potential, but the, the shooting consistency was really all over the map last year. So I was fascinated to see how that would progress and how he would come into this season with that. And it has been nothing but positive returns as he, his scoring averages jumped from 12 points last year to 17.1 this year. He's shooting almost a full, almost one, three-point attempt more this year um, than last year. So he's up to 4.9 a game. And his three-point percentage has jumped uh, from 36.3 to 41.6. So that increase in volume, that increase in consistency, and the increase in production was really encouraging to me. And since I've been, you know, really hopeful for this guy since last year, I, I kind of had to step on your toes and make sure that I was the one who got the words out on him first, um, because I, I would have been remiss if I would have let someone else, um, if I would have let someone else take over one of my passion projects. But <laughs> the the way that Burton plays is just it's really smooth. It's really consistent. It's really unselfish, which is really what you want from a uh, three and D wing. I, I don't think Burton has all star upside or, you know, really even starter upside, but what he does on the court right now should translate to the NBA pretty seamlessly as a rotation wing. And every NBA team every year is looking for these athletic three and D wings who can knock down open jumpers, who can defend, who can cut, who can, you know, use their athleticism in the open court. And all of that is what Burton does. So speaking of your passion projects, we talked about this with Johnny Davis, but I think it's important to you know sort of continue that discussion here in the sense that it's not often when a player goes from a secondary role, not scoring all that much to you know upping their points per game and upping their efficiency at the same time. You know that's that's a hard double to pull off, and Burton has certainly done that this season. And I think the big thing with him and something that you mentioned in your piece as well is there's a level of consistency that he's hit this year that wasn't really there in the past for him, but also he's sped up his shot a little, which I think will be huge in terms of his projection to the NBA level, because, you know, he is a really good athlete. So it's not like he's 
someone who's going to have issues getting into space. But given that he's able to speed up his jumper, that just gives him more opportunity to let fly, you know, smaller windows become easier to hit those shots in when your jump shot release is quicker. And it's not like he's got a Steph Curry level quick release, but, you know, him just improving that a little bit, along with him improving his consistency, you know, those two things together, I think, make it a lot easier to see him as an NBA level shooter. And I think the biggest issue last year with his jumper was the really elongated dip when once he caught the ball where he'd bring it down below his waist and then up into the shooting motion and have this really high arc. So just the variance was really vast. And this year he's tightened it up a lot. He still he still has, you know, a big arc on a shot, which isn't always ideal, Uh, but the dip is less pronounced and there's still room to grow and improve and kind of tighten all of that up. But if you look at where he is now compared to where he was last year, there's definitely been significant improvements. And I I really think that that shows itself when you look at his scoring efficiency where and he's in the 95th percentile in overall points per possession, 83rd percentile in spot up and 79th percentile shooting off the catch. So that ability to shorten his shooting mechanics and really make everything more consistent from the catch has really paid dividends and made him a a really impactful off-ball shooter, which at his size and athleticism is a a really unique and kind of special pairing. So your favorite thing to talk about has been footwork. One of my favorite things to talk about, if not my favorite thing to talk about with prospects is their cutting skills. And that's something as well with Burton that's incredibly strong. And that really adds a dynamic element to his shooting game in my mind, because, you know, the fact that he can make you pay for, you know, not paying careful attention to him off ball, not just by catching and firing, but also by cutting to the rim that I think is huge for his ability to just fit in and play a complementary role on offense. The sort of prime example for this in my head has always been Ryan Anderson of if the only thing, literally the only thing that you can do is shoot, eventually teams will figure that out. And Ryan Anderson fell out of the league, I think a lot faster than most people expected him to, certainly faster than I expected him to. And that's part of why I think I learned the lesson there is that you have to be able to do something else. And With Burton, the fact that he's such an adept cutter as well just really opens up his three-point game because you have to pay attention to him not just beyond the three-point line. You know, he's not someone who, if you can run him off the line, then he's not going to be able to do very much. And that is really a huge skill set to have if you're going to be a complimentary offensive player. Yeah, and he ranks in the 88th percentile on cuts. And the the way Richmond plays, a lot of it is – not necessarily five out, but they have a center who's a really good passer and can stretch the floor. So defenses have to respect that. And that leaves the lane open a lot, which allows Burton to either go and slip an off ball screen towards the rim or just set up a back cut. And he's just really active when he does that, when he doesn't have the ball. And even if he doesn't get it, get the pass on his initial cut, then he's still moving and circling all the way out and relocating on the opposite side and trying to find those open pockets. So that that sense of off-ball movement is evident on the perimeter. It's evident attacking the rim. And once when he does receive the pass on those cuts, that's where we really see his athleticism come into play because he's a very good leaper and he has an NBA-ready body right now. So when 
if that weak side rotation is half a step late, he's probably dunking on the guy or, you know, at least absorbing the contact and finishing through them or drawing the foul. So it's really rare that good things don't happen when Burton cuts, because even if he doesn't get the pass, maybe he's attracting attention from other off ball defenders and that frees up an, an open shooter. So his willingness to move and not necessarily get the ball every time, just opens up a lot for their offense. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like if, you know, not to draw a football analogy here, but you know, if you have a receiver running to the end zone every time, then there's a lot more that opens up underneath because, you know, there's one guy sprinting to the end zone. You have to pay attention to that. So, you know, even if he doesn't get the ball on every single one of those cuts, it does something to the defense if he's making those moves. And the other reason that I really like talking about cutting with prospects is that it shows a level of, not just selflessness on the offensive end, but also awareness on the offensive end of, you know, not just knowing, okay, I have this opening, but you know, when to take that opening, when it's good to run a decoy cut to the rim, just to get defenses to pay attention to you versus, you know, when you're running and you're expecting to get the ball and with Burton as well, he's a ridiculous athlete as well, which, you know, helps when you're making cuts to the rim, but there's something about, offensive players cutting that just shows both a willingness to be a complimentary piece in an office, but also just awareness of positioning on the offensive end, not just for yourself, but for the rest of your team. Yeah. And the, I, I feel like so many cuts are set up from set plays and that, that that's a good skill to have still because the player has to be able to kind of sell the defender that they're doing one thing and then they do another. So it, it's a lot of manipulation and, deception in that sense which burton can do but a a lot of his cuts are improvised they're reading his defender's positioning are they are they topping me are they trying to deny me the ball okay i'm gonna back cut or are they i'm spotting up in the corner are they ball watching okay i'm gonna slip baseline so it's a lot of like you said that really high level awareness that unselfishness where if I cut now it opens up space behind me that my teammate can then circle into for an open catch and shoot three in the corner. Um, So it's that, that high work rate, that high awareness, and then that athleticism that allows him to be a really good above the rim finisher. It's, it's all just a really interesting uh, scoring package for an athletic off ball wing who has really taken the strides Um, in the last two seasons. So let's talk quickly about his defense, which is not exactly his strong suit, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's, it's important to discuss, especially since the idea of him at the next level would be as a three and D prospect, you know, there is, there's the defense element of that as well as the three point shooting element of that. And the thing with Burton is he certainly has the athleticism. That's not really the issue for him, but And I think we talked about this when we were talking about Kendall Brown. And if we didn't, I'm going to bring it up now because it's relevant to Kendall Brown as well. It does really surprise me when these players who show their understanding and proficiency with reading the game on the offensive end through their cutting are so easily lost off ball as defenders. It's like, you'd think that these players who score a ton of cuts by waiting until their defender's not paying attention and cutting to the rim would realize, hey, maybe I should not have that be done to me on the other end of the floor. But that I think is the biggest concern with him, but he certainly has the athletic tools to be a three and D wing, but 
if he can't get his defensive awareness to the level that his offensive awareness is, then he's definitely going to struggle with the defense part of the three and D archetype. Yeah. I, I, as an on-ball defender, I think he's pretty solid and that's where the athleticism really comes into play because I, I think he generally moves his feet. Well, is generally in a good defensive stance. It's just the consistency in doing it on every single possession. And now that I think or now this season that he's taken on more of an offensive load, I think we've seen this defense take a step back from where it was last year, which isn't entirely surprising, but it's also not that encouraging. You'd like to at least see it stay at a similar level. Um, The off ball stuff, like you said, that that's where the real inconsistencies come into play. We see his athleticism really come into play as like that weak side shot blocker. Um, And it really helps him recover. But the issue is that he's often trying to recover because that awareness is either he's too locked in on his guy and misses the drive that he needs to be rotating on, or he gets sucked in watching the ball for two seconds and his guy's cutting behind him. And then he's turning and frantically trying to recover. So just like we talked about with Kendall Brown, it's just that really weird combination of, knowing when and how to cut so much on offense, but then giving up those same opportunities on defense that is just really perplexing. So in the NBA with a much less offensive role, um, hopefully that off ball defense kind of rises back to the more encouraging levels that we saw last year, where he's where his role is just simplified. His reads are simplified and it's, all right, this is where I need to be. Just don't let this guy do that. And that's his specific assignment. So hopefully that's there, but that that lack of off-ball consistency is is definitely the biggest, or at least my biggest concern with him defensively. I mean, I would assume that at the NBA level, when he's in the 10 to 15 minute night range, you know, first of all, it's just a lot easier to run every second you're on the floor if you're playing 10 yeah. minutes versus if you're playing 35 minutes. But, you know, I think the other side of that as well is, you know, we're talking about this three and D role for him, and that's how he's going to make his way in the NBA. At this point in his college career, his offense is really driving his stock, and that's totally reasonable, especially given how much he's improved as a shooter. But if he's going to get consistent minutes at the NBA level, he's going to need to defend. And I would like to think that a huge part of that is just I have to put in so much effort on the offensive end. You know, as you mentioned, his defense was better when he had a reduced role on offense. And he's certainly going to have more of a reduced role in the NBA on offense than he's had this season for Richmond. So it's encouraging on that front. But I don't know. I mean, the flip side of that is it's not like there's any particular reason that he would stop ball watching at the next level unless that's really something that's drilled into him. And that's not exactly something that you can predict, you know, especially if you have no idea where he's going to end up in the NBA. So I don't know. It's an interesting dilemma, but certainly, as you mentioned, he has the athleticism to recover when he makes those mistakes. But the problem is that when you get to the NBA level, as opposed to the competition that Richmond is going to be playing, the difference in athleticism between Tyler Burton and the average NBA player is a lot smaller than the difference between him and the average competition that he's going to face in college. Yeah, and I, I think another aspect of it too is that he he's kind of I mean, he was more effective as a defender last season, but this season his offensive role has obviously increased. His usage is up by about five percent. But I think that defensive role has also taken on you know more meaning where he's 
supposed to be this kind of defensive cornerstone and really used as that weak side shot blocker and taking on the the toughest assignment on every possession. So I, I just think that combination right now is proving to be a lot for him um, at the next level. I doubt that he would be given the, the toughest matchup or be used as, you know, the, the defensive general out there. But if he's on the third scoring option for, like you said, 10 to 15 minutes a night and his assignment is stick with this guy off screens, don't let him cut and then knock down some open jumpers. I, I think he's more than capable of doing that. And then having the, those defensive responsibilities lessened will take a lot of pressure off of him and just help him tighten up those defensive inconsistencies because it, it, it's not a lack of effort. He's when you watch him sneaking over to the lane from the weak side corner while, you know, that the opponent is running a, a strong side pick and roll, he's constantly flipping his head. He's trying to almost scan too much. He's trying to be, it's like he's almost overactive and needs to just mentally slow it down a little bit. And I think with a more refined um, assignment, I, I definitely think that that's a possibility for him. And it's funny, we tend to think about players jumping out of position when we're talking about big men who are block hunters. Mm-hmm. But there's an element of that with Burton as well, especially as a weak side defender, where it's like, you know, he wants to make the big play rather than just sort of sitting back and fulfilling his assignment, which is also part of, you know, him ball watching and losing sight of his guy and getting back cut. Yeah, it's that it's that, that that tendency to gamble and be that defensive playmaker where you are jumping those passing lanes and getting out in transition because and he's an, he's in the 90th percentile in transition scoring. So w- w- when he rebounds, when he gets those steals, he's immediately looking to run out and get those easy buckets where he can then also use his athleticism in the open court. So, you know, I, I, I really think it's just the evolution of his role on that team and what he's being asked to do on a possession to possession basis has taken such a jump um, in these last two seasons that it's just it's a lot. And we're seeing that development. We're seeing that growth. We're seeing those struggles and those bumps that he's going through. But I, I still really think at the core with his athleticism and you know, the, the off-ball awareness that he's shown on offense, I think that will eventually translate to the defensive side. And I think at, at his core, there is a good um, overall team defender there. Yeah, I mean, there are some players who you just have to hope that they're really smart positionally, defensively, because they just won't have the athleticism to figure it out. And that is not the case with Tyler Burton at all. No, and uh, you, you kind of hinted at it earlier, where if he can, if these off-ball inconsistencies defensively continue, then his ability to really carve out a role in a rotation is going to be really hindered because if if he's being expected to be that 3 and D role and he's not living up to his end on the defensive end of it, coaches are going to be really eager to pull him because he will be really replaceable at that spot. So before we get to the last thing that we're going to cover today. I just wanted to talk briefly about Travion Williams, who I wrote about recently over at No Ceilings. And it's funny because these are two extraordinarily different players that we're we're talking about here. But the thing with Travion Williams that really has me 
believing and buying in on him is just, he's such a remarkable passer. And, you know, there's the idea of he's such a great passer for a big man. He's just a good passer, period. Yeah. He's one of the best passers in this draft class, I think, regardless of position. And it's not just that he's really good and that he you know, sees all of these openings and is able to make those plays when he sees them, but he's got a lot of flair to his passing too, which <laughs> makes it a lot of fun to watch. But the thing with Williams is that skill is so obvious and his dominance in the post is, you know, certainly something that's more of a thing at the college level than it would be at the NBA level. But the fact that he can score out of post-ups, I think really does open up his passing game a bit, but I don't know. I also feel like there's more than a little bit of a chance that I'm too high on Travion. So what are your thoughts on what you've seen from him this year? I I think that just, the passing just really sums up who he is. And it's that, that flair, that creativity, that accuracy, the, you know, the absurdity that he has on some of these passes where he'll be in a posting up a guy and throw like a no look behind the back bounce passing to a cutter for an easy layup. And you're like, Oh, that was nice. But then they show you a replay from a different angle and like the actual lane or the window that the ball went through. And if he was an inch either direction, that pass isn't getting through. And he's doing that on a nightly basis. And it's just such a unique skill at that position that it would really surprise me if he doesn't find a role somewhere in the NBA purely from that. And what what something you said that I really liked was it's not just that he's a good passer for a big man. He's just one of the best passers in this class, period. I, I don't think anyone is better than Taron Armstrong, but I think Travion Williams is maybe right there in the second place running for just best overall passer because of the creativity, the vision, the touch, the accuracy, the consistency of it all, I think is really unique. I like his post-up game. He has a really quick rip through and like first step finish and pretty decent touch. I just think a lot of that will fly a lot less in the NBA. And if he can't at least consistently knock down like a mid range jumper, I'm just a little more concerned about how he'll score, but just that, that uniqueness of his passing, I think there's absolutely a spot for him somewhere, especially in an offense that, you know, really utilizes a lot of ball movement, a lot of player movement, a lot of motion, because I, 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 it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, I'm just imagining him in, I feel like this is a, a cop out to, uh, to to say the Warriors, but imagining him in their offense with how their shooters move off ball and they move the ball, um, you know, just that would be a lot of fun. That's certainly a cop out that I've used numerous times on here, <laughs> so I can't really, really call you out for that one. The scoring is certainly going to be an issue at the NBA level just because he doesn't have that jump shot. And at least his free throw percentage is up closer to 60% this year, as opposed to the 50% that it's been at throughout his college career. So that's, Mm -hmm. you know, slightly encouraging, but still not all that great. I think really the thing regarding his post-up scoring is that I think that's less of an option that he's going to be actively scoring a ton of points and getting a ton of possessions out of the post. I think really more, it's just going to be, you're going to park him on the block and he's going to post up whoever's in front of him. And nine times out of 10, he's just posting that player up so that he can get passing angles and hit those ridiculous passes that he can hit. So I definitely think that his post scoring is more kind of a decoy just to allow him to be the kind of passer he is. But 
I mean, he's 6'10", 280, and that feels gener- – 280 almost feels generous. So, like, if you're putting a guard on him, that dude is going under the rim. And, you know, that definitely opens things up for Williams in the sense that you have to stick someone on him who can guard him in the post because otherwise he's just going to push that guy under the rim. But, you know, you stick your center on him. And as we've seen with Williams at Purdue, if you leave another big man on the court with him and that guy cuts to the rim, Travion's hitting basically every time. And, you know, if you're hitting that other big man on the way to the rim and you're occupying a big body just by standing with your back to the basket, you know, I think that'll be a great way for him to generate offense, even if it's not really much of a scoring threat, but I feel like he definitely will need to have a mid-range jumper that he hasn't really shown all that much at the college level. And last time I checked, he'd taken seven threes this year and he'd hit three of them. And, you know, I watched one of them. It's not like his form is particularly hideous, especially given some of the more hideous forms I've seen, but it's not a weapon right now. And saying, oh, he's shooting 43% from three. If someone says that, it's going to (laughs) probably drive me insane because... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I am certainly up there in terms of the people who rail against small sample size, three point shooting the most. And for someone to call him a good three point shooter, cause he went three for seven and finally crawled above 50% from the free throw line is again, probably going to drive me insane, but he could work on that. It's not like it's Andre Drummond level broken, Yeah, but I mean, he's got a long way to go with that jump shot. And I think that's going to be the kind of deal where it almost seems more likely that he just becomes like a three point, a game scorer who takes like two post-ups a game. And the rest of the time he's just slinging passes around, but he's, he's got a long way to go for that jumper to be anything more than an occasional, you know, fun moment. I'm glad that you re-brought up his post-up game too, because sorry to go back to the Warriors again, but they, a couple of years ago, they did this a lot where they immediately fed the ball to the post and it wasn't to set up post-up scoring opportunities. It was, that's where they're initiating their offense from because it just creates different angles for passing lanes. And when you have guys moving off ball and cutting and relocating and all that stuff. So from that standpoint, I, I definitely agree that him being able to post up and he's proven that he can score posting up, but then also use that as an area to initiate the offense and run plays and shooters off screens on the perimeter, you know, that, that just adds a different dynamic to a, to an offense that that most teams don't really use a whole lot, that it's just a really nice kind of change of pace look for, you know, a team second unit or even a starting unit. And, you know, I, I think eventually he, he could get by without, you know, being a prolific shooter. I don't think he obviously has to be a prolific shooter, but defensively, I, I'm really fascinated to see what ends up happening with him because he doesn't have the athleticism to be a rim protect, a high level rim protector. I think he moves his feet pretty well most of the time. Um, and he's obviously strong, but that, that lack of verticality, that lack of explosiveness, I'm really intrigued to see how NBA teams compensate for that and how 
if they have to pair him with another room protector or they just say screw it for the <laughs> for the eight minutes that he's on the floor we're focused on offense and we're just going to score every time down the floor yeah you brought up his footwork and i think that's really the place to go here he moves a lot better than you'd expect for yeah. someone his size laterally vertically he's not he's not a vertical athlete at all and I think that's really where what you mentioned comes in. Either you're going to have to pair him with a power forward who's a really springy athletic rim defender, or as you said, you're just going to have to say, screw it. We're going to give up 125 points per possession, but let's hope we can score 130. And yeah. with Trevion Williams, that's not entirely <laughs> out of the question, especially if there's, you know, if you put him in as your small ball five, fully expecting that he's just going to, camp around the rim and at least just try and be a massive human being close to the basket, even if he's not going to jump much. I think that might be the way to get by the most easily defensively because he moves his feet decently well in a drop. You ask him to switch on anybody, he's going to get absolutely roasted. But, mm -hmm. you know, he's someone who I think his footwork and his awareness on the defensive end is good enough that you can have him hang back by the rim and something he's also started doing a lot more this season than previous seasons is he's been getting into passing lanes a lot more and generating turnovers and especially since he's not going to be someone who's blocking a lot of shots if he can just generate more turnovers on post-entry passes or passes into the paint generally that I think is going to be a much easier way for him to contribute defensively than trying to be a rim protector, which I just don't think is in the cards for him. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think he'll ever be a, a legitimate rim defender. Um, but yeah, and I, I think you summed it up pretty perfectly that it, it's a, the biggest question mark. I think that he has to prove that he can survive or, you know, at least get by at, on that end of the floor because it's just a really kind of clunk because if you do have to pair him with a rim protector then that spacing and passing lanes that he can manipulate uh really lessens on the offensive end because the the, the spacing just gets really clunky um if that you know so-called rim protector that is a requirement on defense is no longer able to space the floor on offense so it, it could be a tricky pairing um and i i just i'm really excited to see how an NBA team uses him because I, I do think he belongs in an NBA rotation and I do think his passing and creativity um, can really help an NBA offense. It's just how do they use him on that defensive end of the floor? So what I think would be really interesting is I think Travion Williams is a late first round kind of prospect. If somehow the Houston Rockets end up with Jabari Smith and Travion Williams, or not the Rockets necessarily because they have a lot of big men, but if a team ends up with Travion Williams and Jabari Smith, they, I think, would work exceptionally well together. I think they fill in a lot of each other's weaknesses. Huh, that's that's really interesting because I, I don't view Jabari as a great rim protector, um, but I, I, I think more of his defensive strengths come on the perimeter, but I if guys aren't even getting to the rim when Jabari's out there because he has a tendency to do that, that that that's certainly not a bad pairing. And I I think a lot of Jabari's, or at least my negativity towards Jabari's rim protection is, I, I don't think he's a super explosive athlete, but he's never out of position. So maybe not, maybe I'm thinking of it more in terms of shot blocking than just rim deterrence because at his size uh with his footwork and positioning and awareness that that that's certainly a possibility i mean i think that it's not as much about blocking a ton of shots as much as just that 
if Jabari loses containment on the perimeter, you know, there's a mammoth human being waiting for the dude. So even if, you know, even if maybe he's not spiking the shot off against the backboard, you know, I, th- I think the two of them could work really well together in that way. But that's a fair point as well about Jabari's rim protection. I don't know. I just think that would be a ton of fun. And I think it would also be a ton of fun to have Travion just slinging passes to Jabari yeah. 25 feet. Yeah, no, with, with Jabari's shooting, um, especially off ball, I, yeah, t- Travion would quickly rack up a bunch of assists just feeding him. All right. So before we wrap things up here, just wanted to touch briefly on the article today over on noceilings.com, which is our second mock draft. And so I wanted to start out just by talking about someone that you wrote about for this mock draft. We had the Houston Rockets as the fifth pick on our ridiculously chaotic tankathon simulator that we <laughs> used for this particular mock draft. Almost, almost stunningly chaotic tankathon that we got here. Brutal. But we ended up with AJ Griffin going to the Houston Rockets at five. And AJ Griffin is someone that I've wanted to talk about for a while because we talked about heading into the season that we weren't sure if he was going to play at all. And then he came back in Duke's first game and was. I don't, know, I don't want to say playing hurt, but certainly was not playing up to anywhere near the caliber that he's shown over yeah. the last couple of weeks. So he's someone who his his draft stock kind of looks like a parabola. It's like, you know, down and then it hit a trough and then now it's all you know, going all the way back up. And now he's a top five pick. And it's interesting for me because it's getting harder and harder to leave him out of the top portion of the draft discussion, especially since this class in my mind, doesn't really have anybody who's shown out as a potential future superstar. And I think Griffin is making the case that he has one of the highest upsides in this draft. And now that he's added some consistent performances in on top of that, certainly a month ago, it would have been very strange to see him at fifth overall, but even though I currently have him lower than fifth on my big board, it's not, it doesn't seem out of the question that he's going to go this high at this point, which if you said that a month or two ago, it would seem a bit ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, I found the early season just plummeting of his draft stock, just really curious because it never really felt like we actually saw him play. And, you know, I, when he checked in that opening night game, everyone was just like, well, wait, what, is that AJ? Like, didn't he just yeah. dislocate his knee like two weeks ago? Like, I thought he like we would. I thought he was going to be coming back around now, and like now we would see him, you know, getting on the floor. And how quickly he came back is like this is weird. And then he barely played, so there really wasn't anything to go off of besides the three to five minutes a night that he was getting. Since his yeah. minute load has continued to increase, he's he does nothing but execute and perform at a really high level so it's gonna be fascinating to see how his season ends i thought all of the early season takes on him were a bit reactionary and a bit quick now that he's coming back i think some of the you know draft twitter takes on him are also a bit reactionary um but like you said i i think he does have some of the highest upside in this class what his medicals end up looking like during the pre-draft process will be absolutely fascinating and if he starts to fall my guess would be that those medicals are a little less optimistic than 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 we might hope for because i i think the skills as a 
basketball player are clearly there and he is clearly super talented. Yeah. You mentioned this, that you were expecting after that injury that maybe he'd come back around now. I'm willing to bet that we wouldn't have gone through the falling of his draft stock period. If he had just sat out until now, rather than yep. playing like five minutes a game for the first, for the first couple of weeks, couple of months of the season. Yeah, definitely. And it was, yeah, I, I think a lot of people were, just viewing it as, oh, well, he's clearly fine to play, so he must not be playing because he sucks. And that never really made sense, given his high school pedigree and the the expectations surrounding him entering college. So the the people who dropped him, you know, to outside of the top 30 after five games of playing five minutes a night coming off of pretty substantial injury um that that thought process never really made a whole lot of sense to me and it's funny because it felt like he was not falling as far as peyton watson was early in the season where watson didn't have the injury excuse he just wasn't performing whereas griffin you know he was out for 18 months you know didn't play basketball for 18 months due to injury and COVID issues and then rushed back from that injury, barely played. And everybody's like, Oh, did he lose? Did he lose a step? You know, is his athleticism gone? It's like, no, he's just playing hurt. And you know, that doesn't, that doesn't tend to work as well as playing fully healthy. So I don't know that that was definitely strange and, you know, not to dump on Watson who has not had the greatest season as we have talked about before, but it is strange to me that Griffin was considered to be someone who would fall further than Watson you know, despite the differences and also the differences in the fact that Griffin was more productive in his minimal playing time early in the season than Watson has been all year long. Yeah. So I just side note, I I'm kind of maybe slowly starting to buy it back in on Watson. Not, not, not to, oh, the, interesting. not, not to the levels of pre-draft, you know, Oh, could this guy actually be one of the top five picks? But I'm definitely on the verge of being like, I would still maybe take this guy in the first round. Um, I think he started to look a lot better recently, um, but maybe that's a conversation for another day. But for, for Griffin, I, you know, just to further emphasize how effective he's been now that he's actually getting playing time, he's in the 99th percentile in overall points per possession, 97th percentile shooting off the dribble and 87th percentile shooting off the catch. So basically if he's shooting it, it's going in and just the, the fluidity, the decision-making, the, I think on ball equity, the upside of that is all just really fascinating and really encouraging. And it, it wouldn't surprise me that if he really becomes one of the, the biggest reasons, um, for Duke making a, a really a legitimate championship run. And finally, I think the biggest surprise for many, certainly myself included with this mock draft that we did was that Kennedy Chandler fell all the way out of the first round. And I mean, I understand it from the perspective of NBA teams have been very reluctant to draft small guards and Kennedy yeah. Chandler is a small guard, but I think that just dismissing him as a small guard really doesn't account for how solid he's been on the defensive end despite his size and how good he's been at generating turnovers, which is the defensive number that most easily translates to NBA production. If you get a lot of steals in college, 90% of the time you're going to get a lot of steals in the NBA as well. And I don't know, I get why Chandler fell out of the first round, but I think that he is 
definitely a worthy first round prospect. And I don't know. I mean, a lot of people have been saying that it's sort of Sharif Cooper vibes of he's someone who has potential first round talent, but falls mostly due to concerns about his size. But the difference being Chandler is a much better shooter than Sharif Cooper was. And I don't know. I mean, I get why he ended up falling out of the first round on our mock draft, but I would be surprised if every single NBA team with a first round pick passes on him on draft night. Yeah. I, I also still have a first round grade on him. Um, and the, the, the Sharif Cooper comparisons n- never really make sense to me uh, besides if, unless you're just looking at their size um, and, you know, well, and their SEC point guards. Oh, they're basically the same player. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, Chandler isn't the playmaker that Cooper is. Um, I, I think he's a pretty good passer. I think his playmaking definitely needs some evolution and maturity. I, I really like him as an at, at rim finisher. I think he has a lot of he has really good touch at the rim and creativity and craft. I wrote about it for No Ceiling, shameless plug. Um, and we and talked about it on here. Other shameless, we plug. did go, go re listen, re download, and I'll reread all of it. Um, but then I, I I also really like his shot. I think he's a really good outside shooter. The defensive footwork is impressive. He might have some of the best hands on defense in the country. My my biggest issue with him is that his floater is so bad. And I think he's in the 21st percentile on floaters right now. And at his size, he has to figure out how to score in that intermediate range. And that, that lack of a floater, I think, is the biggest, or at least my biggest complaint for him um, in his offensive game. Because if he had that, that would really force defender or rim protectors to step out on him, where he could then use his quick first step to then, you know, use just a, a hesitation and then blow by them or just if they don't step out on them, punish him with a floater. And the fact that he doesn't have that in his tool belt yet, I think is the biggest indictment on his scoring game. Given all of that, I, I would still use a first round pick on him. I, I, I get the size concerns, but if, if you can play, you can play. And I, I really think that Kennedy Chandler can play and Given his shooting numbers, given his shooting touch, I think the floater will eventually come around. I, th- I think it's a, a skill that can be learned, um, especially given his shooting touch. Uh, but I don't think he's ever really had to use it before since he's always had the athleticism and the quickness to get all the way to the rim. So I really hope that as his career develops, that that is the thing that he focuses the most on, because if he can develop that, it, it could completely change his scoring arsenal. Yeah, you mentioned the floater, and I strongly agree. I think that's a great point, but that's not the main concern that I have for his offense. The main concern that I have for his offense is he's currently shooting 62% from the free throw line and shooting less than three. Yeah, and shooting less than three free throws per game. And I don't think he's a 62% free throw shooter. I think that's a little bit of a small sample size issue, but he has to be able to do at least one of those two things, right? He either has to develop a floater that he can use if he can't get all the way to the rim, or he has to get better at drawing fouls. But if he can't do either of those, then I think that severely hampers his offensive upside. Yeah, no, that that makes a ton of sense. I, I don't love that number. I'm not, you know, I, I historically I'm not a free throw percentage truther like, like you are, um, but it being that low feels weird. But then, 
at his size, you really want those free throw attempts to be a lot higher. And the fact that he's not generating four or five attempts a game from there, um, I, I think that does make a lot of a, a lot of difference. All right. Anything else you want to talk about here before we wrap things up? Uh, just no ceilings, everything. Go subscribe to it all. We dropped our uh, second version of our mock draft um, today. And like Nick said, we did a tankathon to them and it got weird. There was a lot of weirdness in it and it did not make our lives easier, but it was fun. <laughs> um, and I, I think it does a pretty good job of kind of reflecting where we see these guys going based on their kind of, you know, current draft value and fit. Um, And then Friday, I have another Friday screener, Friday screener dropping, going to be breaking down Ishmael Kamigate's um, at rim scoring. So make sure to go check that out. Definitely make sure to go check that out. I certainly have not seen enough Kamigate this season, so I will be reading that the moment it comes out. Actually, I'll be reading that probably tonight. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Tyler knows why. But anyway, you can find Tyler on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. And in addition to No Ceilings, of course, you can find his work on Hashtag Basketball as well as Canis Hoopus. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can find my work as well on No Ceilings and Hashtag Basketball as well as Nets Republic. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. Always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.